Living Corporate is brought to you by the Liberated Love Notes Podcast, part of the Living Corporate Network. The Liberated Love Notes Podcast is a starting point for integrating self and community affirmations into your daily practices. The Liberated Love Notes Podcast center the experience of black folks existing in white systems and speaks to overcoming imposter syndrome, disrupting injected and internalized forms of oppression, embodying an abundance mindset, and building a healthy racial identity. Check out Liberated Love Notes Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, hosted by Brittany Janae Harris. Hey everybody, this is See It to Be It, the Wednesday podcast from Living Corporate. Living Corporate is a digital media network that centers and amplifies black and brown people at work. My name is Amy C. Wanninger and I'm the host of See It to Be It. When I was growing up in rural southern Indiana, I didn't know people who went to college or who worked in professional roles. I didn't know what those jobs looked like or how to break into them. In many cases, I didn't even know those jobs existed. But this show isn't about me, it's about my guests. Every week, I bring you career stories from everyday role models in jobs you may not know exist. More importantly, the folks I interview share their perspectives as black and brown professionals in jobs and environments where they may be the only. My guest today is Dr. Cy Powell. She is known as the rogue gynecologist. She is an obstetrician gynecologist turned nutrition coach, and she is a blast. But before we get to the interview, we're going to tap in with Tristan for some career advice. What's going on, y'all? It's Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting, and I've teamed up with Living Corporate to bring you all a weekly career tip. Today, let's talk about the importance of getting things in writing, aka having your receipts. When I started at my current job, my boss said, you really like to get things in writing, don't you? And while that question is rhetorical, the answer is, uh, yes. I've been burnt in the past, so I've learned from my mistakes, and I wanted to make sure that I always had something to refer to. Getting things in writing ensures not only that everyone is clear, but that you're also covering yourself. There are so many times where getting it in writing comes into play, but I'm going to focus on three. Have you ever led or been on a project where people weren't clear on, about their responsibilities? That is the worst. But imagine if you put everyone's duties in writing and distributed them out to the team. Some of the confusion wouldn't happen, and even if it does, there's more accountability as everyone was made aware of who was responsible for what and had the opportunity to question it. The next situation where getting it in writing could come in handy is during a meeting with your boss. Sometimes these meetings are scheduled and sometimes they're not, but either way, I always suggest sending a follow-up email summarizing the topics of discussion. No matter if you were discussing a new project you'll be taking on, getting their approval for PTO, or even talking about your next sales incentive, if they don't respond, you'll have a record to refer to at any given point in time, and it puts the onus on them to correct anything you may have misunderstood. Lastly, I know when you get that verbal offer for a new job, you want to quit your current job right in that moment, but do not until you receive that offer in writing. I've seen this go wrong one too many times with candidates just like yourself ending up burned. You don't want to have to retract your resignation and end up looking like a fool. Also, make sure you get any contingencies like a signing bonus or 90-day bonus in writing too so you can hold your employer to it. 
There's so many instances where getting it in writing could not only help you out, but really could save you from so much turmoil. Do yourself a favor and start documenting things a bit more so you can pull out those receipts. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn. Living Corporate is brought to you by The Leadership Range, a podcast within the Living Corporate Network. Hosted by globally certified and Fortune 500 executive coach and leadership development expert Neil Edwards, The Leadership Range is focused on having real, raw, soulful, and accountable conversations about inclusive leadership, allyship, professional development. Every week is a new episode with new learning and new actions to take on to grow inclusively. Make sure you check out The Leadership Range everywhere you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to See It To Be It. My guest today is Dr. Cy Powell, and I met Dr. Cy at the National Speakers Association Conference in Las Vegas, where it was 1 million point five degrees. And Dr. Cy is awesome. Um, and what I, the first thing that I loved about her was she said, I'm a rogue gynecologist. And I was like, this woman and I are going to be friends. So let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Sai. She works with midlife women, especially women of color who are overweight, stressed out and unhealthy. And I'm not going to tell you how many of those categories I fit into. She helps them take back control of their health through diet and lifestyle changes. No toxic drugs, no surgery, no deprivation. She uses a holistic medicine approach within a group coaching setting to help women learn the value of balancing their minds, body, and spirit and avoid chronic illnesses. And she says she wants her clients to live up to and beyond 100 years of age because health is the first wealth. So she's got a medical background. She's now a nutritionist, the rogue gynecologist, Dr. Sai. Welcome to the show. Why, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I am so excited to talk to you. I, you might be my second, maybe third actual doctor that I've had on the show or oh. medical doctor, excuse me. So I'm just curious, what led you to medicine in the first place? Well, that was a no-brainer for me. I remember when I was growing up, my mother dubbed me Miss Public Defender. And I also was the stray cat kind of person too. Oh, are you, is your foot broken? Let me help you. Uh, that's just, I was drawn to this healing kind of atmosphere. Uh, I loved chemistry. I love science. I love investigation. Um, you know, I watched all those shows. I, I grew up in a small suburban town in Long Island, New York. I was one of the bridge and tunnel people. And education was my just food. It fed me. I was able to um, partake in one of the only high school there was. And I still know the names of every single person in my year in high school. That that's wow. how small it was. But I started out uh, thinking about science. I was in a great educational environment. My guidance counselor called me in and said, what are you doing? Okay, you're a senior, what, what, you know, you're a junior actually, what are you gonna do? And I said, well, I'm gonna go to college. She said, I know that. What are you going to study? I said, you know, I like science. She said, okay, medicine. And that's really how I got into knowing that I should study medicine. And once I picked up on medicine, OBGYN was like a no-brainer. I did a year before I went to college with 
hanging out with an OBGYN doctor. And let me tell you, my first stat C-section, I said, oh man, I gotta do that one day. And it, I haven't looked back. I have been in women's healthcare. I have been uh, the dual healer that I have become now because I do conventional medicine and I've branched out into real, uh, the newer sciences that have uh, come to four. But I started basically because I was a healer in my soul and spirit all along. I love it. And so you, you saw a baby being born under the most stressful circumstances possible. And right. you said, sign me up. Yes. <laughs> and I know that's stressful because I had an emergency C-section and it was not fun for right. me or for anybody else in the hospital. So I, I just props to you for, you know, for saying, Hey, this is, this is the arena I want to play in exactly. now, you know, being an OBGYN mm -hmm. is an incredibly taxing line of work. Did that surprise you um, as you kind of got deeper into your career? You know, that's very, very uh, a good question because the same doctor that I was tagging along with was an African-American male physician, OBGYN, and sat me down after I was so excited about watching him do this stat section and said, but, but, but what about you're a woman? What if you get married? How are you going to be on call? And I said, well, the same way that you are, I just would go. So that was somewhat of a little surprise for me that women were kind of discouraged because it's too hard. And I just said, I don't agree with you. I can do this. It, it's not work unless if you love it, unless it, if it's your calling, if it's your passion, and it really was. Um, there was no hesitation on my part at all. So yeah, that, there were some people that thought that women couldn't make it. And when I was coming through, they didn't have women locker rooms to change in. I had to change with the nurses. Uh, for female doctors, they didn't have any space for you. So I was coming in through a time when women were just beginning to jump into these fields, uh, urology, um, OBGYN, orthopedics. Uh, women were doing the things that they thought were henceforth only male. And, you know, I know in our, one of our earlier conversations, when we were talking about, you know, your work as an OBGYN, you were saying, you know, you do office hours all day, and then you're on call 24 seven, and it's, it's disruptive to your sleep. It's disruptive to, you know, to you personally. Um, you know, how did you cope with that for the number of years that, that you've been in that field? Initially by myself as a single woman, it was the easier part because I, it was just me and my cat, Jamaica, that I had to take care of. And of course, she was very neurotic because I was gone a lot more than I was home. There were 24-hour calls. You didn't get the next day off. You had to work a full next day, uh, even though anesthesia got the next day off. So medicine was very, very, and what you would hear if you ever complained was, well, when I was in medicine, we had, you know, it was like one of those kind of things. So you didn't complain, you grabbed your food. This is where I learned to eat fast, gobble down your food because you had to get to Grand Rounds. Uh, and if I brought the food into Grand Rounds, the chief would say, excuse me, there's no eating in here, eat on your own time. 
and I would look and say, this is my own time. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, it was it was quite challenging. But the first time that I got to do my first cesarean section, okay, I was the first year resident. You uh, work twelve hour shift, and as a first year, you work the day shift, eight a.m. to eight p.m. And when someone needed a C-section, the chief would operate, that was the fourth year, and bring in the first year or the second year, depending on whether the case was stat or whether it was a straightforward teaching case. And the first time I got to scrub, I, I was called back. They said, we've got to do a section. And my chief said, how many have you done? And I said, none. She said, give me the second year. And she pushed me aside. So it wasn't until maybe another week or so later that I finally got to do my first C-section. And I'm going to tell you, it was just mind boggling, powerful. I felt like I was saving lives and, you know, and I was, but you know, it was just incredible. So I knew that I belonged That is and, awesome. I, and I could do it. Absolutely. So now help us understand because you've you've transitioned a little bit from delivering babies and um you know grabbing your food on the go and trying to inhale something you know before you hit rounds to a real focus on holistic medicine and nutrition I know is a is a big component of your focus now can you talk to us a little bit about about how that change has come about for you like most physicians I put 100% in and I got sick. And when I got sick, I went to doctors. I got to put on various medications for high blood pressure, for uh, aortic stenosis, for elevated cholesterol, for um, a rheumatoid autoimmune kind of disorder that really took me out because it made me stiff. It made me not able to use these hands that I need to use because one of the joys of OBGYN is that it's a very hands-on specialty. That's why I chuckled when telemedicine came up because I said, yeah, I can do a little bit of telemedicine for GYN, but GYN is kind of hands-on. You got to show it to me. I have to see it and touch it. So, but uh, when I got sick, I tried conventional medicine and it did not, did not work. When I discovered nutrition, I went to the Institute of Integrative Nutrition because a friend of mine, a choir buddy that I hadn't seen in a year showed up and I said, oh my God, you've lost a lot of weight. You look fabulous. And she shared the Institute of Integrative Nutrition with me and her new uh, role of using nutrition for her esthetician work and beauty on the inside to the outside, that kind of stuff. So I did. I, I went and got my uh, health coaching certification, used everything I learned to lose 50 pounds, stop every single medication that I was taking because I changed my diet and my lifestyle. I didn't smoke anymore. That I gave up when I started having children. I gave up alcohol, I got, came off all of my medications. I was gluten-free. I even did a little dairy-free, although I don't have to do that anymore because I've discovered that I don't, I am lactose tolerant. But uh, 
just by getting rid of what was causing an inflammation in my body and not realizing that that's what it was doing, um, I got better. And what's really cute, I think it's cute because I would go to work and my patients would say, Doc, what you doing? You look younger every time I get here to see you. What are you doing? And that's when I realized that I had to share what was happening because my patients, 85% of who crossed my threshold were obese, not just overweight, obese, okay? And when I'm sitting with someone who has a BMI of 35, 40 and on blood pressure medication has got one knee surgery down, is looking to have her gallbladder taken out. And I'm saying to her, well, when was your last mammogram? And when was your last pap smear? Uh, and have you had a colonoscopy? That's not preventive medicine. That's what I was taught was preventive medicine. It's early detection. And that's great. It does save lives. But how about, let's not get that disease in the first place. How about, let's, re, let's not have to go on medication in the first place. And guess what? My patients would say, how come my docs don't talk to me like you talk to me, doc? You know, it was just such a revelation for me that I had to share. So why is it then that doctors don't talk to us more about nutrition? Why is your, why are the referrals to heart specialists or to radiologists or cardiologists or um, immunologists and not to nutritionists? We don't get educated for nutrition. For my four years of medical school, I had possibly four hours of nutrition education. Nutrition now is a one of the new sciences, okay? Just like immunobiology, epigenetics. Nutrition is, has taken off and it needs to be taught because if you look at Hippocrates way back in 400 BC, he said, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. He knew back then. We have strayed because of the industrialization of the industry. Big pharma. Anytime you say, okay, uh, lycopene in this tomato is what you know helps to lower the blood pressure, they go and make a lycopene pill. But they forget that there's a whole synergy of other nutrients and vitamins and minerals that are in this uh, tomato that has to interact with other things that we take in. And then there's our gut microbiome. That's a whole new, the whole germ theory of medicine has been torpedoed by uh, nutrition and the new understanding of the microbiome that we are made of 300 trillion cells, bacteria that live in our trillions of cells. 300 trillion bacteria live in and on us and do work for us. As a matter of fact, the bacteria in our intestines, that's your immune system. That's your defense mechanism. That's, your, that's what absorbs your nutrients for you. And with altered gut microbiome, that's where the diseases start to show up. Irritable bowel, uh, uh, just um, irritable bowel, I'm blanking on some of the others, but- uh, Like Crohn's disease and those Crohn's, sorts of things. There you go, there you go. Thank you very much. But that, and so, that, and stress exacerbates all of this too, right? So, when we're when we're undernourished and we're overstressed, 
we're sleep deprived um, and we're sleep deprived i mean all the things that you were <laughs> as a resident and as a doctor exactly 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 you know what my husband said you know what you keep doing that they'll let you and then when you fall down they'll just hire somebody else to take your place can you say that one more time i said my husband said you keep doing that they will let you and when you stop when you have that heart attack when you fall down they will push you aside and put someone else to replace you I just wanted to make sure everybody heard that. Yes. Because that is such sage advice. And so many people, um, and I think it's getting a little bit better now, um, you know, as people are starting to kind of figure out like, oh, I don't have to be on call 24 hours a day in an, in a normal job, right? Like, okay, medical emergency is a different thing, but for most of us, right. right. It's not an emergency if, you know, if there's a, you know, um, you know, there aren't marketing emergencies, right. There aren't, there aren't actuarial emergencies. <laughs> there, there aren't, you know, accounting emergencies usually. So, you know, lives don't usually hang in the balance for most of us. And yet we push ourselves to the point where our life is the one that's hanging in the balance. That's one of the reasons why I went rogue, to be honest with you. The first reason is overworked, stressed out, burnt out physicians. That's not a way to practice. You know, it's just isn't. And the second one, the reason I went rogue is because of the disease management uh, concept that we, the model that we practice from, where big pharma is allowed to prosper and we get to be the pill forever ill crowd. And they make it easy for us. They give you 90 day supply, you know, auto refill, you know, but home delivery, but maybe, 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 I don't want to take medicine forever. Okay, so that's another reason why I went rogue. I just needed to, uh, there are alternatives, there are natural ways. The body wants to heal if we treat it well, nourish it, okay? Um, the other piece was the epidemics of obesity and chronic diseases and not understanding that treating symptoms doesn't help. It just prolongs and extends people are living with checking their glucoses, sticking themselves with medications. I was on these bioinjectable drugs for my rheumatoid uh, autoimmune anemia. I'm not anemia, autoimmune uh, arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, and nothing worked. And as soon as I just stopped eating gluten, I went to a functional medicine doctor. They diagnosed me with gluten insensitivity, not intolerance. I don't get anaphylaxis, I don't freak out, but over time, something that is a little irritating and you continually, you continually, you continually expose yourself to it, your body says, hey, we've got an enemy here. And it sets up to attack that immunologically and you're attacking self. That's what autoimmune means, okay? So one of the uh, major pieces for me was figuring out that looking for the root cause, not separating, reducing the body into its little parts. Like I can only do GYN, I can't talk to you about your heart, okay? I can't talk to you about breathing because I'm not a pulmonologist. So um, when I first started practicing, that was fine with me because I loved OBGYN. I loved deliveries and I was very busy enough doing that. I didn't go into internal medicine because I didn't like the chronicity of the diseases that they were treating. So now face-to-face, -face, I get sick and I have to figure this out. 
So now what I do, because I know that once you hit midlife, that's when it all starts to catch up to you. When you're young, you're invincible. You can take it, your body can fight back. But over time, it gets pooped and it says, whoa, let me, let me show you this. And that- Yeah, I'm noticing in my 40s that cold pizza for breakfast just doesn't do it for me like it used to. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that used to be a fine, a fine way to eat, but not so much anymore. Yeah. So, so talk to me a little bit, Dr. Sai, about are the clients that you have now in your, in your nutritional coaching practice, are they patients? Are they clients? Like, what's the right terminology for, for the kind of work that you're doing right now? They're my clients right now. And um, ooh, a good 50% of them were my patients when I was practicing. They followed along because I was doing this while I was practicing. I was trying to be an intrapreneur. I was trying to do this while I was still doing full-time GYN. No OB, because I had given that up for about uh, 15 years before I started uh, just straight GYN for the past 20. But I would try to do it in my office because I saw the need and the patients would just say, oh my God, if you have this program, you let me know because I'll come. So when I stopped practicing, when COVID, the accelerator said, close this community hospital, uh, I set up my shingles and I said, here is my nutrition group coaching program for women who want sustainable weight loss without drugs, without surgery. You don't have to have your stomach stapled, okay? Uh, they came, they came. That is wonderful. Yes. And so aside from the scale telling me that I need you, what other signs should I look for that would tell me, I need to call Dr. Sai. Right. Well, the, the scale is a big one because that's just a visible indicator of uh, metabolic disarray, imbalance, let's call it that. But other things would be fatigue, uh, easily fatigue, um, not being, um, you know, I say people are so malnourished that how can you exercise? People say, well, you got to, the whole premise back in the day, and this is what conventional medicine still puts out there, calories in, calories out, eat less, move more, and that's the way to lose weight, and then we beat you up because, well, you're not losing weight. You must not be doing it. You must not be exercising. And it's not, you don't feel like exercising when your energy level is low, you got brain fog, you got easily fatigability. Um, you just don't feel vibrant. And when you switch and change your diet. I'm going to tell you, I didn't know how much more, and I'm very high energy. People call me a whirlwind. I am very high energy. I got even more. I feel I can, so now I'm into, I'm training to run my first 5K. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Um, but I didn't have the time or the space or the energy to do that before. So if you're feeling sluggish, if you've tried and tried and tried to lose weight, you initially you do, because you, you, you hold back those calories and you turn the calories down, your body will lose weight because there's no calories there. However, the body's very smart and there's a famine protection protocol that we have to save ourselves. So the body says, whoa, wait a minute, 
not enough calories coming in now. Let's slow the metabolic rate down really low so we can preserve those calories that we have. So if you've had issues with trying to lose weight and been unable to lose or you've lost but could not keep it off, come talk to me. All right. That is good. Good to know. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to, I'm, I don't talk about this, but I tried to do one of, one of the apps, one of the weight loss apps yes. recently. And, you know, it had me down to like 1100 calories a day and I was so tired and I was trying so hard to do it. But all I wanted to do, like end of the day when my calories were gone, I was like, I want a bag of barbecue chips. Like, <laughs> like that's it. Like all I want to do is sit and eat barbecue chips. And, you know, and then it says, well, you know, if you're hungry, you can, you know, you exercise and then you can eat more. And I'm like, I'm too tired to get off the couch. Exactly. Like it was just wasn't enough calories. And so, you know, I think a lot of people blame themselves, right? I did. I was like, oh, I just don't have the willpower to do this. You know, I, I have a barbecue chip addiction, which I'm going to be right out there right now and just say, if there's a 12 step <laughs> program for barbecue chips, I need it. Right. But, you know, I think we do, we blame ourselves and we see, we see weight gain as a moral failing in this society, right? Mm -hmm. We see, we, you know, we tie image to goodness, right. you know, internal goodness, external value. And so, you know, I think it's so important for women and especially women of color um, who are just bombarded with messages about, you know, what's acceptable and what's not acceptable and people policing, um, you know, how, how we and how you look all the time um, to know that, you know, there are ways to be healthy mm -hmm. that are not about how you look. Mm -hmm. or about following strict rules. It's about really knowing your body, knowing how your body responds exactly. and doing what works for you as a person. Well said, well said. There's no one diet fits all, nothing like that. Um, the issue of weight stigma is a problem. It is so hard. When I first started asking my patients in the office, I wouldn't say I had to, I had to couch it well. So I would start by saying, so what do you think about your weight? And it was always painful. They would, they would say, I've tried, I, you know. So my point about it would be this. You don't know people's journeys. You don't know. So when you see someone that, you know, driving along and you see this lady and this is huge, 300 pounds, don't say, oh my God, wonder, feel hurtful and, and uh, sad for this person because you don't know how hard she's tried. Maybe she's settling now, maybe she feels awful. So it's not something to blame her for. It is to, for me, I look at it, how can I help? And guess what? We have been misled. It's so unfair. We have totally been misled. It is not about counting your calories. So all those programs that have you count your calories and look, it's not about that. It's a whole different, take. And when you look at back in the 1960s, when they came out with fat is bad, fat, cholesterol causes heart disease. That was not completely studied and it was wrong. And it was put forth because of hubris, acclaim, and um, um, bullying basically of this in the scientific. And that's one of my misconceptions in my, in my, um, that I uncovered about medicine. Oh, it's not 100% right. And when you're a young, you know, 
student and resident, and you believe everything they tell you. You believe everything you read, okay? And then you have to get out and practice. And then mm -hmm. when you practice and you see what's happening, oh, it's a new, it's a new day. Okay, so yeah. it's not about fat. Eating cholesterol, to this day, my mother would always say, oh no, I can't have any more shrimp because I gotta watch my cholesterol. No, the cholesterol that you eat does not go into your heart, Pookie. It just doesn't do that, okay? Um, it's the sugar. Sugar is the villain, okay? And it's not just like fruit sugars, which are natural sugars. It is this refined, processed, sugar, cane sugar, added sugars, and let me beat up high fructose corn syrup. Please don't eat that. It's in everything. Why is it in bread? Why is it in mustard? Why is it in salad dressings? You know why? Because sugar is addictive. That's right. I was say it's, it, it tastes good and you want more of it. Yes. It, it hits the pleasure center. It brings out dopamine. You say, mm, honey, that tastes like more, you know? Um, and it is just the worst thing that for us as a country. And if you look at um, when you transport what I call the SAD, standard American diet, you transport that anywhere, you watch obesity goes up, diabetes goes up, heart disease goes up. So it's almost like it's a malady of the affluent country, okay? But it's just, I watched this soda commercial and they say, drink this soda just because you can. I don't want anybody to tell you not to drink that. They cannot advertise for the refined processed food stuff. That's what I call it. It's not real. <laughs> they can't advertise any nutritional value. So they play on your influence. Right. Social proof. Everybody's doing it. How you it makes you feel. feel. How it makes you feel. Make more friends. Be yourself. Oh, my goodness gracious. Um, mm -hmm that kind of stuff so you know it is they're trying to sell they're trying to make money it is not about what's good for you right it's not mm. about what's good for you and what's really harmful is that medicine we're beginning to evolve it's beginning there's a movement afoot okay but it is very, very slow to change. I had to leave in order to make my indent or my midlife women because they wouldn't allow me. They would say, well, you know, we can't do group coaching. Who's, who's going to pay for that? It was crazy. So mm. I think that we all need to just be conscious eaters, be aware of what is authentic, real, whole foods, plant-based eating. You don't have to be a vegetarian. I'm not saying that a lot of my patients, especially women of color say, what? We have to be vegetarians or vegans? No, everyone, you have to eat for what works for your body, as you've said earlier. And what's critical for me in terms of weight loss and health, it's not just about what you eat, but when you're eating. What I realize in this country, we are encouraging snacking. They want you to eat five meals a day. That's based on a, there's two fuels that we burn, sugar and fat. Fat is, uh, makes food, make you feel full, makes food taste delicious, and it's a slow burn. It, the energy from that will last a long time. And it takes a lot of calories to burn fat. Sugar, rapid, 
it'll snap up your blood. If you have a diabetic who's tanking, blood sugar is like 20, they give them a glass of OJ, they're right back, okay? It is burned really fast. And unfortunately, because of that, you have to constantly restock, refuel. That's why when you eat a big, high carb, high sugar thing, half an hour later, what do you want? More. 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 And when you do that, you are feeding the gut microbiome and you are cultivating sugar eaters, right? You're cultivating yeast, you're cultivating candida, you're cultivating. So what you, when you switch and change your diet, you want to switch over to fat burning mode, much better. And the way to do that is through fasting. So that's the major key to my, my program is to encourage and to educate on fasting. And everybody who does it comes back to me in four weeks or less and says, oh my God, I've lost 10 pounds. I feel more energy. It's amazing. It, it, it really is. It's just that simple. So it's not just, so, and with fasting, you can be a little more loosey-goosey with the what you eat. You can. Yeah. Okay. Because So it makes my question, up my question is, how long do I have to fast before I can eat the whole bag of barbecue chips? Ah, <laughs> no, that's well, not a serious question, but it is on my mind. <laughs> the question would be better uh, stated, how long do I have to fast after I ate that bag? Okay. Oh. To correct the boo-boo of eating the bag. Okay. So, and that depends on fat, uh, how long you fast. So the goal is to, when you fast, you don't take in any source of nutrients. So you have to burn what you already have. That's why your body stored it in the first place. Every time you eat what you don't use immediately, the body says, okay, we're stored. And if you're eating carbs, it brings out insulin. That is its job. Insulin is a fat storage messenger hormone. So when you don't eat, when you're fasting, the body says, well, we still need to breathe and move around. So let's go get that glycogen that we tucked away in the liver. And once that's gone, easier sugar to burn, then it goes after it mobilizes the fat. So the first time you fast, you may not deplete the glycogen. You got to do it again. So it's a intermittent fasting schedule or time restricted eating schedule that again, when you eat becomes the issue. So you can get away with a lot. You can be a little less stringent on the what if you're fasting a lot more. And I will say that if it gets you to fast, go for it. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So what I, what I took away from that is I can have a bag of barbecue chips. <laughs> yes. And you can, you can. That's, that's the point. Once you feel deprived, once deprivation sets in, you're not going to win. It's just going to undo Everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, so the process that you go through with your clients, it's, it's, you know, helping them understand the nutrition, helping them get on their, on their schedule for eating and fasting. I'm assuming that there's some, some psychological support that goes into this as well, because there's a whole mental thing. You know, I've, I've lost a lot of weight before. Okay. And, you know, there's kind of the psychological game that kind of goes on in your mind as you're losing the weight but then kind of when you get to your target weight you know sort of this panic sets in of like what if it all comes back tomorrow um so you know how long do people typically work with you in this process the program 
has been morphing and changing. But right now, uh, I started as a 12-week uh, program. Uh, it is a three months and then six months. But I have people, I've become a life coach for at least three of my clients. They, they're not going anywhere. They, they, they stay with me and they, um, they're, they're involved and we have weekly uh, hour uh, to 90 minutes uh, coaching, virtual group coaching sessions, and we're on it. The mindset is a big piece. And what I call my new thing is, let's make good health and aging, because I'm also gonna throw in longevity in there because that's critical. Let's make good health and aging a habit. Because once you get into the habitualness of doing something, it's automatic behavior. You don't have to think about it. There's no choice. You're taking the choice away. I always do this. When you get in the car, you put your seatbelt on, you don't think about it. You get in the car, this and that, 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 you know, you're on autopilot. So we're gonna get your good health habits on autopilot too. That's what we do. Love it. Mm -hmm. Love it. Dr. Sai, how can people reach you if they are interested in learning more about what you do? They can reach me through my website. It's called balance2bloom.com. Uh, there's a calendar in there from my calendar that you can schedule an hour talk conversation with me. I love to offer that free. It's like a free one-on-one -on -one coaching for the first time you join. I ask about your journey. We figure out what your challenges have been, what your goals are, what your vision, where you see yourself, because all that's important. Okay. And then I kind of also assess your motivation to uh, get involved because you got to want it. You have to want it. And most of the time, unfortunately, we usually have to have something bad happen to us before we realize, oh, I think I need to get started here and do something about it. So I do have people who already are diabetics. I do have people who already are dealing with hypertension. Um, and I do have some who are not, who are just want, I just want to lose weight before I get there. But um, most of the uh, um, most of the time, it's you can you can just send me a um, a message on my to my website, and I got you. I'll call you back. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Well, and I can say that every conversation that you and I have had, I have enjoyed immensely. <laughs> and I think your coaching clients are just super lucky to have you for hours at a time. So thank you, Dr. Powell, so much for being on the show. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and your insights and your history with us. We really appreciate it. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm delighted to be able to reach the women that I like to get them. Take back control of your health. Yes, you can. Wonderful. Thank you. Welcome. The Living Corporate is brought to you by The Break Room. Have you ever felt burnt out, depressed, or otherwise exhausted by being one of the onlys at work? You know what I'm talking about. Hosted by black psychologists, psychiatrists, and PhDs, The Break Room is a live weekly web show in the Living Corporate Network that discusses mental health, wellness, and healing for black folks at work. Name another weekly show explicitly focused on mental health, wellness, and healing for black folks at work. I'll wait. This is why you got to check out The Break Room, airing every Thursday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on livingcorporate.tv.
Did you love Dr. Sai? I know I do. What I love about her is how passionate she is about the work that she's doing now and how unapologetic she is about having learned better and now she's doing better. You know, it takes a lot to go through medical school and it takes a lot to be, um, you know, to be a doctor and to, to treat patients for all those years. Um, but I think it, it shows a special amount of humility um, for her to say, you know what, maybe I didn't have it all right. And there's there's more that I could learn. And so she's taken a different path. And I think that's wonderful. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to Living Corporate and share us with your friends and colleagues. And hey, you can really help us out by leaving us a six-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe you're thinking, Amy, there are only five stars on that little review tapper. Okay, well, give us all those stars, but then go the next step by leaving a couple of sentences in your own words, telling us what you liked about the show. Don't forget to visit living-corporate.com to learn more about our other podcasts, videos, web shows, and more. See It to Be It is brought to you in part by Lead at Any Level, a certified woman and LGBTQ-owned business dedicated to helping organizations win the competition for talent and customers by preparing their leaders to be more inclusive. Lead at Any Level, leaders can be anywhere and should be everywhere. Learn more at leadatanylevel.com. That's it for this episode of See It to Be It. This is Amy C. Wanninger, and I'll see you next week. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.